0: Johnny Bench. Wow. That's it. That's the intro to the podcast. Here he is, Johnny Bench. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh just baseball. So Friday, August 26th, Jack McMull and Peter Apple, Johnny Bench is the guest today. Uh greatest catcher of all time. Coming on to talk about not only his baseball career, but also his uh, his battle after his playing days with skin cancer. So we get into that for the first, you know, five-ish minutes. And then the last 15 are baseball and kind of his thoughts on the catching position. Hearing Johnny Bench talk about young catchers, yeah. which you guys will hear in a matter of minutes, is really cool. Really
1: cool. I thought um, also he was on the Field of Dreams broadcast too. And I'm always interested, of course, with the intricacies within baseball as well. And he was talking about the relationship with the pitcher and he had a... And um, just every... All the little things. Yeah. Um, like, I remember we were talking with Ryan LaVarnway as well. It's like... It's more than just the framing metrics when it comes to the catching position. Like, I thought a great quote kind of in in that interview that you're about to hear with with Johnny Bench was that the pitcher may have walked five guys. But... He may have had a plan to walk one to get another guy out, so it wasn't just because of the command or the control from the pitcher, but it was actually more of a game plan. Like I, just those little things, and you could probably hear him in that Field of Dreams game talk about how he's not the biggest fan of the analytics revolution, right. and yeah. he more values like that kind of stuff. And I just love to hear the back and forth between those two things. I mean, we just interviewed the greatest catcher of all time, a guy who has 389 career home runs in a 75 career war. And if we told him his war, he's like, I don't care. It was high. I don't care
0: though. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think his thought process playing baseball, which is what we just picked up on was uh, I'm going to go be really good today. Yeah. And and he was just really good every day. Um, And, you know, Johnny bench, like all the things, I mean, he, he gets into his bone density. And uh, I mean, it, like obviously you've seen the hands and how he could hold five baseball and it's in his hands. Like, johnny bench is johnny bench he's an icon he's the greatest catcher to ever play this game and um yeah that was that was a treat to talk to johnny bench about that and what i do love is while he may be against the analytics revolution rearing it's head as much as it is he understands that like there is a positive to quantifying things you know what i mean like he was talking about a lot of things and we've talked about that like Ted Williams was talking about launch angle before we talked about launch angle. You know, it's, there are roots of that. Um, Another thing that I did love about what he was saying was you could just tell that baseball was not rocket science to him and it's rocket science to a lot of people. Now Um, I think to a lot of players, it isn't, but to a lot of people like us, you know, we're looking at weighted on base average against breaking balls for, for certain guys. And like, Nerds. Yeah, but yes, that helps us understand something. But the reality is like the fix for a player might not necessarily be looking at X woba on, on off-speed. And it might just be kind of struggling with that. Let's see what I can do to, to fix it in the cage. Like there is, there is that player perspective that is, is very valuable. Absolutely. So let's talk to him. Here's Johnny Bench privileged to have 14-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glover, two-time MVP, two-time World Series champion, of course, the Hall of Famer, Johnny Bench, joined the Just Baseball Show. We'll jump into your illustrious career in a moment, but I know that you've got something else that weighs pretty heavily on your mind right now. After your playing days, you were diagnosed with a non-melanoma skin cancer. You've since overcome this. Johnny, before we get into anything baseball, what was that journey with skin cancer like for you?
2: Well, I think anytime anybody says cancer, it kind of gets So you get a little nervous about it and everything else. I had these blisters on the, on the lower lids of my eyes and they were blisters and they would, you know, I could sort of pop them a little bit. I mean, and, and then, you know, but then when I was seeing my optometrist, he said, you know, you really need to get these checked out. So I went to my dermatologist. He said, I don't like the looks of those. Let's do a biopsy. Turns out both of them were basal cell carcinoma. Uh, and uh, he removed them through Mohs surgery. Uh, actually I went to even see a plastic surgeon because the eyes, you know, how the healing is on that. And I had no problem whatsoever. Uh, you know, that's back in 2012. So 10 years have passed. And then I, I regularly see my dermatologist, which I hope everybody does twice a year. And I had a little spot on the side of my head and I'd actually seen a dermatologist here in Florida. Didn't think it was a problem, but, uh, when I was up there just getting, uh, my checkup up there because- uh, I always see him when I'm in town. And he said, I don't like the looks of that. He did a, a biopsy. Turned out it was a BCC. Uh, I was in the chair the next morning. And uh, that's, uh, that's the, uh, and the result was I had to have the head removed. And it was actually at a good time because I think we worry about <clears throat> roots. I don't know how much you know about it. right? But roots had come through that. And we certainly don't want to come into a squamous cell. Or even to a melanoma that that really is, but most uh, basal cell carcinomas are treatable and curable, and it's just the fact that I continue to go see him every year. I I don't know how much you, as young as you guys are, uh, that you see your dermatologist, but it's really important that that uh, uh, that we we see them, and yeah. you know I've, I've got friends, you know sometimes they come back they look like look like they got hit. Hit by a paint gun because they have all these freezing and all the stuff and everything else, but that's just another prevention thing that we want to do. We want to make sure, and and we're our own. You know, in a in some ways we're our own doctor. We need to check our bodies. <clears throat> we have a spouse, a mate, or someone that can say, "Hey, uh, this this doesn't look right—a pimple, a freckle, a mole, something that is." Good. And it's just—it's so easy to go in and make an appointment, go in and see your dermatologist, and have them check it out and. And as a result with, you know, with this problem, you know, it could have gotten a lot worse. And it was a mole. It had been there for a long time and uh, it started to get a little bit sore. I thought, okay, I'm brushing my hair uh, maybe. And I I scraped it. But as it turns out, it was just really fortunate for me that I was able to see him and get that taken care of almost immediately.
0: Yeah, And you mentioned the self-monitoring practice as well. And I mean, that's less than a minute a day. That's every couple of days. If you see something weird, like check it out, right? Or have a significant other, check it out. Um, real quick, is there is there somewhere that people can go to, you know, possibly learn more about this issue?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because everybody goes to the internet, but let's get real about skincancer.com. So uh-huh. they're going to be able to give you all the answers. Uh, it's just an amazing site. There's, you know, everybody checks on the internet anyway. And, you know, you go see a doctor, you you think you're as informed as the doctor. I mean, you said, well, I was on the internet. You know, the internet's always right. In right. this case, when you start getting the information from let's get real about skin you're going to have the answers and you're going to have questions that you can do it. You'll have a response from that. And that's the one thing. I mean, you know, you can't see your back. You can't see your, you know, there's just little spots on the back sometimes. That's yeah. my uh, boy's father, grandfather uh he just had three basal cells he three had three most surgeries this past week and he was a golfer and and so it's just not baseball players it's just, let's go let's go with fishing let's go with reflection from the sun the side of your ears your face and everything else your back of your hands I, I was exposing my hands while fishing and my knees when you're wearing shorts and it just all of a sudden that sunburn so it's being preventative first of all for our youth for our young kids back in my day. They were using, uh, you know, uh, baby oil and iodine just so they could get a great tan, yeah. which probably burning off all your derma anyway, right. and doing that. And now we're recipients of that, but it's not too early for even at 30s and 40s and 50s, you yeah. know, being 70, I'm, I'm still cautious. I've done it for, well, let's go back to 2012 when I really started more or less. I think sometimes we just think, you know, well, there's no. And especially if you've had any problems within your family, but I think you know it wasn't vogue to go see a dermatologist. It was something that was just okay. What is he going to find? He's not going to find anything. It can't cause any problems. But we realize after a certain period of time that we really are uh, doing damage, and that it will later on in your life you're going to unfortunately see come up with some problems. So. Uh, it's all important just to protect yourself and ounce of prevention, the old thing that we started when I was young, ounce yeah. prevention is worth a pound of cure. So you've heard it. It doesn't sound like much, but it is a preventative thing. and and then of course, the sunscreen, which my kids, I have 13 and 16 year old boys, are very active in the sun, they're in active in the pool and everything else, trying to make sure that the sunscreen and and most people say that that 30 30 SPF is fine. You don't have to go above that, but it's important that we do this twice, every two hours, I should say. Every two hours, it should be reapplied just because our oils and our skin and everything. And it does it. It's just a prevention thing. So uh, it's landscapers, it's hunters, it's fishermen, it's hikers. Just as simple as we're all going. And, you know, I sit here in my in my house and I see all these walkers go back and forth, and back and forth. And, and, you know, the warranties run out on all my parts, so I'm not going to be out there walking with them. But at the same time, I am hoping that they're all being a little bit aware of the sun and down here, you know, long sleeve shirts are in vogue. I mean, all these yeah. fish shirts and things and got it, the SPF things on them and they and they, they've got all the UV protection and all that. Well, it's just smart to do. It's just too easy just to do it. And, you know, if just because you wear a long sleeve shirt doesn't mean, oh, it's too hot outside to wear it. It's just it's just for prevention.
0: Right. Totally understand that. Hey, Johnny, if you don't mind, let's jump into your baseball career. And I want to talk about it from the very top. You were an Oklahoma boy drafted by the Reds second round at a high school in Oklahoma. When did you truly fall in love with baseball?
2: Well, I must've been three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, uh, <clears throat> we played in the backyard. I just came back from the field of dreams. Well, back, it takes me back to the day when in the house that we lived in up until I was about three it had a cornfield in the backyard. My dad would hit the ball in the cornfield, and I mean, we'd have to go search for it. And my dad was the greatest player ever, and and we would look at it. So when I took me back to the memories, and and my dad had wanted to be a catcher. He wanted to play in the major leagues. That was his dream. But the war came along. He uh, he served two hitches, eight years, and so by that time he was twenty five. Uh, he dropped out of school actually to join the army. I'm sure there's a lot of stories like that. <clears throat> But then when he came back, he was really, you know, in those days, way too old to be uh, considered played Sandlot ball and uh, we're watching TV. And announcer came on and now setting the next superstar the switch hitting center field of Oklahoma, Mickey and I looked at my dad and I said, you can be from Oklahoma and play in the major leagues. So, and I said, that's what I want to be. And he said, well, catching was the quickest way to the major leagues and what the major leagues need. There we
1: go. And Johnny you were the rookie of the year in 1968 and then you went on to make 12 straight all-star games and you were a two-time MVP by the time you were 24 years old Was there ever a point in your early career that you were doubted and did anything like that let you let drive you
2: No I don't think I ever did I was just a cocky kid I thought like you right. know I'd always played against older older competition and I say that because dad started the this team in the you know in Binger, Oklahoma, a town of 660 people, we rode around the back of the pickup truck and we, with our little Levi's and T-shirts, and we actually knocked on doors to try to find other kids that could make up nine players so we'd have a team and we would lose. And my dad said, "That's alright. We'll get them tomorrow. Let's go have a cheeseburger." And then we kept practicing. I had two older brothers. They let me play against them. My outs didn't count, but I was still so. So the time I was six, then by the time I was eight, I was playing with the 10 year olds. By the time I was 11, I was playing with 13 and 14 year olds. And then when I was 14, 15, I started playing American Legion. So I ne- I think I stepped up in competition. So when I got to the minor leagues down in Tampa, Florida, uh, and uh, I didn't feel like I was overmatched and I had, a, had been blessed with a great arm. I've practiced, I, you know, threw it long distances, I developed it. And then, uh, So I, you know, I was saying I can throw out any man alive, which most catchers can, but I would, you know, I was saying that. And and, uh, so I had great success in the minor leagues and uh, the rookie of the year and that rookie year. I mean, I came up at the end of 67. I missed, and then I got beat out in spring training for the starting job by Don Pavletic who had an unbelievable spring. And uh, I think the manager wanted to prove a point that the job wasn't mine. Here I am a ripe old 20 years old veteran, you know? Yeah. And of course, nobody could believe a 20 year old could be catching or a 19 year old should be catching in the major leagues. So nice. Don pulled a muscle, a hamstring in the fifth game and he never caught another game. So I caught 54 days in a row without a day off. I had 154 of the 158. And I was, of course, the last guy off the bus. So the warranty kind of runs out on all the parts and everything else. I'd been a real bad car wreck when I was 18, a drunk driver on the wrong side of the four lane. So I was even lucky enough. I was so fortunate just to be a bench. And I say that because the doctor said I had the biggest bones he'd ever seen in his life when I went to the emergency room. And he said, nobody else but you would walk out of this. So, you know, I suffered with, I've got five discs in my back. I've got two herniated discs. And so I was always, you know, uh, hurt. But at the same time, I could still go on the field and play. And so I don't think I ever really doubted it. Uh, Um, and I, I, maybe it was just being a young naive kid. And I talked about the fear of failure when I was 18 and it wasn't failing myself, it was failing all those people back in Oklahoma, even a town of 600 people or the people in Oklahoma Sooners that really followed my career because they followed Mickey's they followed Warren spawn. They followed the great players that came out of Oklahoma. So I was, uh, I was, uh, hopefully next in line. To, you know people to follow and and it was just a, a great run of course and then and I was blessed more than anything to be play with some of the greatest players in the industry of the game so yeah. that uh, that in itself was a driving force but I was uh, I was just sort of you know they called me the little general because I just felt like everybody should be on t- on the field on time do what they're supposed to do play their position and uh, so I was really motivated by that but the other guys were just as motivated. So we all together. We made up the big red machine.
1: And coming from a small town in Oklahoma, you had 21 kids in your graduating class in high school, and you had to play some third base and even some first base before switching over to catcher, then went on to be the greatest catcher of all time. What prompted the switch from the hot corner or first base to the general behind the dish?
2: Well, I was actually a pitcher. I was 84 and three lifetime pitching. So I never lost a game until I was 16 years old. And then in high school, you know, Paul James would, didn't like to play third base, but he would catch. So then what they did was they put me behind the, they put me at third base and then put Paul as catcher. And then when I went to American Legion, I went to American Legion ball. Uh, the, uh, I'm getting all these messages. Sorry about the dings. No, but you're good. Uh, when I, when I went to American Legion ball, which was another town 20 miles away, they had already had a two guys that were drafted from that team. A guy named Daryl Griffith, who played third base for the Dodgers and Matt Kuykendall who played with the Cubs and they had two brothers. So they were scouting quite a bit, but I went there to play and they already had three catchers. And here I am 15 years old. I mean, these guys are 17, 18 years old. So, you know, I was just a wet behind the ears. So I played first base and I sat on the bench a lot the first year and everything else. And uh, then I just go play at Binger and then my final season, everybody knew I was a catcher, but I never caught. I I even when I pitched, and I pitched the regionals, the district, the county, the by-district, I and the state finals and the invitational, uh, I would take infield as a catcher so the scouts could watch me throw. And that seemed to be the one thing that that everybody was more impressed by was my, you know, what I practice and the transfer and the throwing and the and the stuff. So and that's how basically the the Reds, who really never scouted me, um, found me. And it was just by a fluke that they ever even knew that I existed. But the Cubs, I, I was more likely to be a Cub than I was for certainly any other any for any other team. The Cubs and the Orioles were very interested. Uh,
0: I don't think Cubs and Orioles fans are very uh, happy hearing that from you right now. But um, well, I mean, to- I
2: had Randy Hundley at the Cubs. You know, it might have been a whole different scenario for my career. You yeah. know, a lot of times they'll take a young catcher and they'll keep him down so they can season him. They yes. don't understand if you can catch, you can catch now. But they yes. all know it needs to be a better ball, call a better ball game. And, you know, there's all these guys that have an idea that they can call better. They can always call a pitch better. And it's not about that. It's the when the pitch is supposed to be called, what batter you don't want to pitch to. And so there's an understanding that goes with that. But we've got so many guys back even those days before analytics. That yeah. to basically, you know, they were much smarter than the guy on the field. And that was what really, that was the thing that made Sparky Anderson was so great was yeah. the first day in spring training, he asked me my opinion. And it was like, what? Yeah. He thinks I have a brain. Right. And all of a sudden I was elevated to another level. I was actually on a level where, you know, management, management's here, players are here. And all of a sudden Sparky put me up there. And he didn't use. You know, we talked all the time. The four of us would talk: Pete, Joe, Tony, and myself. We'd be in a meeting, or he'd call me in. And what would you think of this guy? No. What do you think of this guy? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we worked hand in hand, and Sparky never gave me a sign uh, the whole time. No, I did any other manager.
0: Yeah. Hey, Johnny, I know you have to run soon, so I think we each have one more for you. My last okay. one: um, Are there certain guys in today's game that you gravitate towards watching? I know at the catching position over the last you know, couple of months, baseball has fallen in love with what Adley Rutschman is doing right now. Um, but, you know, there might be uh sorry, my phone's ringing right now too. Um, I know the baseball world has just kind of fallen in love with Adley Rutschman right now, but I know that you've spoken very highly of what Yadier Molina has been able to do behind the plate. Is there a certain catcher that you just love to watch? catch in today's game
2: well you know adley won my award the college catcher of the year award so there's all of these guys we got about 12 of them in the major leagues we've had over the period of time of 20 years the three finalists now we've gone to cincinnati where we have the award and we the last three or four years we've actually just uh, chosen one player and adley uh i texted him the other day and told him how proud i was of him and uh you know you go to salvador perez uh then then you know Will Smith, let's just say, I mean, here, here's the kind of guy that's just so durable and every day out there. And he doesn't get the credibility that I think he can deserve because, you know, he's adequate by, with the Army, he's adequate with this and everything else. And I say adequate means that he's really at a high level. And, and if you, if you understand the fact that there's only 15, 16 catchers in the hall of fame, you're only getting one for every decade. Yeah. So they say, where are all the catchers? They're still there. But until you drive in hundred runs and lead the league in home runs or RBIs or become the MVP, you really don't get the notice and the appreciation. We've got catchers now that're hitting 170 or in the lineup. Yeah. And and management back in our day would never settle for that, but analytics say because he's playing, and whatever that wins above replacement or WAR or whatever yeah. those things are, and, and you know, and you've got a good
0: one by the way. You've got a good WAR. Yeah, so it's pretty good.
2: I I understand. I've heard. That. <laughs> It's, uh, but you find that, you know, these guys in the lineup, even though they are basic outs, they are rally killers, you know, they're still, you know, still in the lineup. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, Grandel, you know, he was, he's hitting, and it's impossible for him to hit 180 or 190 or whatever it is, because he's a switch hitter with all kinds. Some people just get consumed by bodies. Some people become upper body hitters. Some people lower body hitters. I was talking to a hitter with the Reds the other day. And I said, your body's drifting everything. Why are you going this way? I said, you got the best hands in the game right now. And so I said, and so he listened a little bit. Now he's, he's the last, you know, 10 or 12 games he's getting, he's hitting about 300. And, you know, and what I try to tell young, young hitters is that, you know, they're hitting 220 or 200 or 230. I said, just try it for your next hundred at bats get 27 hits don't worry about this they're not worried about it you're in the lineup they think they have faith in you uh, but there's so many great catchers out there today but if you till you get the accolades you really aren't going to be considered that but to look around now to see uh, see what's going on uh, it's they're they're tremendous athletes and they're they're stretching out on the ground they're doing all the splits they're doing this stuff I have never touched my toes in my life much less like <laughs>
1: And uh, last one for me, we're speaking with the great Johnny Bench, and some refer to Yogi Berra, Carlton Fisk, Josh Gibson, Mike Piazza, Roy Campanella, and yourself as the greatest catchers of all time. I have to know, who are your top five catchers of all time?
2: Wow. Well, I mean, you got to go with Yogi, and you got to go with Campanella, and you got to go with, uh, you know... um... You know, strangely enough, Bill Dickey got 13 consecutive years of 100 games or more, which we tied for that, which was really kind of a, in itself, an endurance game. Uh, Yadier's done it. Done. I love Carlton Fisk. I just thought he was just. I thought you know the years that he had. You know, we talk about great catchers with Bob Boone, but Bob didn't put up any numbers. So I mean, is you never now you got the offensive side of what you're trying to achieve and everything else. Pudge Rodriguez was. I mean, I. You couldn't done it much better than he did it as well. I mean, he was durable. He stayed on there. He defense, offense. And so, but to have the combination of both of those together is an unbelievable thing. Last year, Salvador hit like 40 million home runs, 47, 48 <laughs> home runs. And so we look at that. But I mean, to watch him catch and to see that arm and to see his, you know, the way it was and everything else, to watch a catcher call a game, I can't really equate that because you're not watching every pitch. You're not watching, you know, the situations in which <clears throat> a hitter comes up and, you know, a pitcher and our, we had one of our pitchers or a couple of our pitchers, they would walk four or five and the reporter would come up and say, well, he didn't have much control tonight. He walked five. I said, I walked four. Mm. Meaning that I couldn't get this guy in a situation out that would might hurt our, uh, hurt our, their offense. So yeah. I would pitch, I would walk him to pitch the guy on deck because I knew my pitcher could get him out. So it was just a matter of developing a relationship with a pitcher that say, hey, oh, you have to understand what I'm calling back here is to get the hitter out and let him get himself out. Because you're out pitched maybe only one time. And so I need you to make these pitches. Let him chase, let him go after something that gets him out. And if not, we'll get the guy on deck. And if if necessary, We'll walk him to him because the guy in the dugout, certainly we can get out because I've got the stuff to do that with you. And so once you have that confidence and develop that repertoire with, uh, and rapport with the pitcher, now you can start to manage a game. And so it's my canvas and I want to paint it. And if mm-hmm. I've got the arm out there, you know, scouts would say, well, he can't hit the curveball. And I would say, who's curveball? Because, you know, Jim McLaughlin didn't have, you know, Burt Blylevin's curveball. Right. So and there's just things that you have to equate into this. So uh, I I still you know I love to watch the game. I still watch <laughs> our young players, our young catchers that are out there and pull for them. And I mean Suzuki's still playing, you know, and he was yeah. one of the very first of all all times. But I remember there was a guy named Dave Ricketts that caught for the Cardinals, and you know you looked at him and he was like 220, 230. Back now he'd be a star. But now, how did he stay in the lineup? Because if you get a great receiver, a great catcher that can fill in at times, Bill Plummer was a great one for us. My yes. roommate was Pat Corrales. We had guys, Vic Correll and, and, and Alex uh, Trevino. We had guys that were ready to play when I wasn't in the lineup. And they filled in. And they did a job. So if you can catch, they pretty much you're pretty much assured you'll have a job for a long time.
0: About that. Johnny Bench, this was awesome. Thank you so much. For thank taking you. The time.
2: All right. Let's go to the website again, guys. Let's get real yes. about Sons, let's, let's get real about Sons, Perfect.
0: Thank, thank you so much, I'm
2: Johnny. Back, Peter, thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Johnny.
2: All right.
0: And that was Johnny Bench. We just spoke to the greatest catcher of all time, Mr. McMullen. How do you feel? I feel good. I uh I'm buzzing a teensy bit to say the least. Yes. Um yes. yeah, I mean bringing up a guy like Adley Rutschman and him saying, yeah, I just texted Adley telling him how proud I am of him. I was like, fuck, of course you did. Like, you're- I, I thought the coolest thing is, yeah, Adley won my award in
1: college. Yeah, My award. Yeah, he That's won the my greatest greatest award in college. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, no, I mean, like the fact that I I think that's what I love about these guys. It's like, he just loves baseball. He mentioned that he fell in love with it when he was three years old. He loves baseball. So when you retire, you don't need to stop watching baseball. You don't need to hate every new player. He likes watching Adley Rutschman, likes watching Will Smith. He likes watching Sal Perez. He, you know, it's, I'm almost thinking about like, if you were to hold a position in leadership, if you were to be the head coach of a college football team, you know, there's a reason Mike Shashevsky hasn't left his office at Duke. He's still got an office at Duke because he is concerned about the well-being of the program after he's gone. He just wants to see the John Shires doing it. And it's always hard to take your hands off of the situation that you had your hands on for so long. Johnny Bench is the gold standard of catcher. Now, I'm sure part of him is stressed. It's like, we better keep this standard for catching high. And when he watches somebody like Adley Rutschman or like Sal Perez or like Yadier Molina over the last 20 years, or like Will Smith right now, he's probably sleeping better at night, knowing that the standard that he set for the catching position is being upheld. These guys, like he said, are really, really good athletes. Extremely good athletes. And
1: it was just, like you said, just so cool to hear his perspective too. Let's talk about some weekend series as we move into the weekend, because it is Friday and we have some, playoff type atmosphere type series to look at yes three in particular Jack McMullen and uh one starts tonight well all three start tonight I'm really excited to see first Guardians versus Mariners Braves versus Cardinals and Orioles versus Astros which in late August I don't think anyone was expecting Orioles versus Astros to be one of the best series of the weekend but it is. The Orioles are 64 and 59. If we're looking at the standings right now, they are just a couple games back of the Blue Jays. And in the entire wild card standings, as of right now, they are two and a half games back of the Mariners. The three wild card teams right now are the Rays, the Blue Jays, and the Mariners. Yeah. If the Orioles can take a few, and if the Guardians are able to beat the Mariners, we could be looking at the Orioles making the playoffs, and we were making fun of the rotation with Spencer Watkins and Dean Kramer. But this team, there's a different energy here, and it's tough to explain with the numbers. And probably Johnny Bench would do a better job
0: explaining with the Orioles. <laughs> I think so. Uh, Kyle Bradish gets the ball tonight. Who's one in five with the six two five? But um, the Orioles transcend Kyle Bradish's six two five ERA somehow. It, it's fucking bizarre, like how this works. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the ones that I really have my eye on, Cleveland and Seattle, that pitching matchup on Friday night is going to be electric. That's Shane Bieber and Logan Gilbert uh, mm. at 10-10 on Friday night, which is going to be insane. Also, you got to factor in J.P. Sears' revenge game at O.Co uh, against the Yankees. So J.P. Sears gets the ball with his sub-two ERAs, 5-0. and um, Yeah, I. the other big one, I think the two games that I have to watch on Friday night, um, at 8-15, Spencer Strider and the Braves at Busch Stadium against Jose Quintana and the Cardinals. And then at 10-10, it's Shane Bieber and the Guardians at T-Mobile Park against Logan Gilbert and the Mariners. Sunday
1: Night Baseball is Jay Rizzi versus Adam Wainwright. I wish we could see a Max Fried start in that game. Jay Rizzi should do fine. At least we got Waino at home in St. Louis. That's going to be a good
0: one. Yeah, can I shout out Saturday, uh, Otani and Alec Manoa in Toronto? It's going to be good. And we know for a fact now that Shohei Ohtani is VAC, so he is the perfect person. Have you seen Ohtani at the plate lately? He has been bat.
1: His at-bats are terrible. I'm mean, in, in prize picks, we took his under fantasy yesterday. Hit very easily. I mean, I know it was against Shane McClenahan, but at the plate, the guy behind me right here has not looked good, just saying. Just something to watch. Never just say something. that again. Something to watch. Never say it again.
0: Objective journalists. Call it like we see it. Otani's not even good. Maybe he's overrated. Sunday, I've got two good pitching matchups for you on Sunday. Uh, Nick Lodolo and Patrick Corbin in Washington Mm. is going to be like... I feel like Lodolo is just the better version of Corbin now. Is that fair? I've... As you know, it's kind of mean, but I feel like since he's entered the league, he's been better than Patrick Corbin. Yeah, no, but I, I feel like the way that those two, you know, it's like longer lefties like Lodolo might use his his length a little bit better and he might like generate more ground balls. But I don't know. I just like I think if I got Nick Lodolo and I just slammed the downgrade button and older button, it would be Patrick Corbin. It's funny, like Patrick Corbin in 2019, World Series champion.
1: Yeah, he was died. sick. He now was we're sitting so in, good. Now we're sitting in 2022 celebrating a 6 7 5 ERA that he got it down from seven.
0: No, he's four and 17 with a 6 8 1. He has 17 losses.
1: 17 losses. Um, <laughs> I know win loss doesn't matter, but 17. You could be the biggest analytics person in the world. You hear a four and 17 record, I don't care who
0: you are. That is not good. I got to know what opponents are hitting against him right now. What While you you're doing that. This- no, I got it. What do you think in opponents right. are hitting against Patrick Corbin? In terms of batting average? Yeah. 310.
1: 331. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. So opponents are hitting 331. The league leader in batting average right now is
0: Paul Goldschmidt at 335. <laughs> That's not very good, Patrick. And it, so straight. now, let me tell you, he is incredible against right-handed hitters. They're only hitting three thirty compared to three thirty-three for lefties. So he's a reverse splits guy. <laughs> it's so bad.
1: All right, let's talk about the other end of the spectrum. Um, here.
0: Okay, yeah, I there was I have other a prediction. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you yeah. want to hear my prediction? Yeah. So real, real... quick, let me give you the uh, the Sunday other start that I've got. Twelve oh five. That's a peacock game. Julio Urias versus Edward Cabrera in Miami is actually going to be really great. Speaking of Miami pitchers
1: this rotation is looking real good i mean shout out arm i mean you look at jesus zardo the start he had against a's i know it was against the a's but he dominated the dodgers in his last time out and cole Irvin, shout out cole Irvin, seven shutty with 11 k's against the marlins just historically bad offense against left-handers but jesus zardo edward cabrera pablo lopez in a great start then you got sandy max meyer is going to come back from tj They have a very, very good future rotation. It just gets better by the day, and it's all dependent on health. These guys are electric all in their own right. I mean, Edward Cabrera, when he's on, looks like an ace. Yes. He does. Jesus Isardo is pumping 96, wipeout slider. When he's on, he looks like a two. Sandy's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Pablo Lopez, when he's on, is a two. I mean, they could have – the deepest rotation in all of baseball, and if only they could hit. Speaking about teams, only if they could hit, we're recording this on a Thursday, and I'm going to be at Mets Rockies tonight. It's Jacob DeGrom versus Ryan Feldner. The Rockies are coming off a series against the Rangers. They just got beat up 16-4. to They don't get an off day to go face Jacob DeGrom in New York. So travel day, off a series at Coors, in gambling, you want to fade the Rockies' first game off. Now the now the Mets are minus 440 on the money line. I think the biggest one I've seen this year, I think Jacob DeGrom throws a no-hitter tonight. I think he does. He's never thrown one before. I think tonight's the night where he throws a no-hitter. The Rockies coming off that series couldn't be a better matchup for Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher on planet Earth when he's on. Rockies are worse against righties. I think he throws a no hitter. And I'm not even just saying that as like a joke. I really think he's going to throw a no hitter tonight.
0: What would you put put the odds at for a no hitter? I mean, they have to be crazy high. Yeah. Like, but
1: they'd be the lowest of the season and it'd be by a long shot. Do you think it's plus 2,000? If you gave me, if you gave me plus 500, I'd take it. Oh my God. I think he's going to do it or at least shut out. Like, I think a shutout is like plus 200.
0: Oh, a shutout. It's, yeah, like a shutout might be plus 400. Yeah. I mean,
1: I'm very excited. Just, just come back to this. Or, I mean, you're listening to this episode right now. But I you'll assume, hear it. like,
0: I assume for prize picks yesterday, you, you were to take, uh, what, like DeGrom's like strikeout prop over and hits you, under, like, you couldn't there. go wrong. Okay. You couldn't go wrong. I, you know what? Good.
1: Before we end it, because I mean we're, we're recording today on Thursday, I'm going to open up the Prize Picks app. Use code Just Baseball if you want to play along with us. But that for that full deposit match, let's see strikeouts. Jacob Degrom is at nine strikeouts. Let's see. Let's see what he's at on hits allowed. It's not even up yet it's not even up yet wow. if he like if he has a hits a lot of two and a half you taking the over or the under under hunter
0: Chet Holmgren gonna miss the entire season with a with a uh, I think it's a torn ligament in his right foot the whole season the whole season not good that's what everybody was concerned about all right Jacob deGrom no hitter Chet Holmgren out for the year and with that thank you everybody